and welcome to the Gifted Ed Podcast, hosted by Angel Van Howe, Gifted Coordinator and SEL Facilitator, and Megan McCarthy, Social Worker. We are grateful for the opportunity to share this space with you today as we talk about the complexities of giftedness. Today's episode is part three of our series about perfectionism. Occasionally, we will be featuring teachers who have experience working with gifted students. We plan to refer to these special episodes as Voices from the Trenches. This episode is a continuation of our conversation with Sarah Batzel, Elizabeth Roberts, and Jenny Garetto. These experienced teachers can provide valuable insight into the struggles and challenges of perfectionism, as well as some strategies to help students learn to embrace the growth that comes from overcoming setbacks and learning from your mistakes. So mistakes are a very important part of the learning process, and I feel like growth mindset needs to be a part of the classroom culture. It needs to be talked about on a daily basis. Whenever you call on a child and maybe they get, say, an answer that's wrong, you know, how you respond to that is important. Those types of decisions that we make on a daily basis um, and making children feel like it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay that they don't understand something yet, and praising a child for taking a risk, even if they get it wrong or have, you know, an incorrect answer, um, we have to praise the process uh, rather than praising the outcome and praising the successes. We have to praise the process. And in order to really become excellent in life, you have to be comfortable with making mistakes. So if a child makes a mistake, they're going to then learn from the mistake and learn more than a child who didn't make a mistake to begin with. There was one time where a student made a mistake on a math problem and I asked her if I could share the mistake with the class so that we could all learn from it because it was a very interesting mistake and a very common mistake and one that you have to address and learn from in order to really understand the concept. And so because of the culture that I'm trying to create in the classroom, she was okay with sharing the mistake with the class so that we could all learn from it and she could learn from it. And it wasn't a matter, you know, the culture has to be a safe environment where you're not afraid to make mistakes and you're not afraid to share them and learn from them. And you can learn just so much more when you actually acknowledge and examine a mistake that you've made. And and that has to be an important part of the classroom culture on a daily basis to make children really feel comfortable with taking risks, making mistakes, and not being perfect. It makes me think of our immersion trips. At the end of eighth grade in April, we have generally taken our eighth graders to Quebec for five days, and we have a rule where they can't speak any English. They've been preparing for this, and it's just, it's really fun to see the progress that they make during that week because it's a really, again, really low stakes. They don't have to be, they don't have to say anything correctly. They just have to not speak English. Um, But what you notice is the people that, the people that end up making the most progress during that time are the ones who are just not afraid to talk. Like they just, they'll, they'll say anything they'll, you know, and, and it's also the people I think who just generally have a need to talk a lot. You know I mean? We all have <laughs> different um, needs about how many words we need to get out each day. Right. So um, th- those students who just really enjoy expressing themselves in any language, they're the ones who really start to figure out how to put things together in French 
And then there's there's some students who spend the week just being more quiet. And I think there's a variety of reasons why that might be happening. Perhaps they don't want to fail. Perhaps they don't want to sound silly speaking French, or maybe they're just, you know, a little shyer or quieter. But, you know, I think even those students that are more pulled back, they're probably still taking in a lot. You know, there's a lot of input. So students who have that growth mindset, I feel like they're always looking for the next challenge. So they there's a lot of intrinsic satisfaction when they achieve something, when they acquire something, when they understand something. And that just prompts them to go to the next level. For example, we do science fair every year. And I might have a student who, and I had one this year, who did an incredibly difficult project on fuel cells. And the student, I thought, did a fabulous job. And when the student advanced to the regional competition, that young man actually went to the first competition and the judges ate him alive. It just, it was a really bad experience. Um, It surprised all of us. And it was really a, it was really a defining moment because in that moment, that young man came back and said, I don't know what I did wrong. I felt like I did a good job. You told me I did a great job. And he was actually scheduled to go to another competition presenting that same project. And he's like, I'm not sure I should go to the next competition. And I said, well, that's really a choice that you get to make. But I think you need to look inside of yourself and, and, and look at the experience and say, how do I feel that I personally did? Am I going to let someone else define me by this one experience? And he thought about it, and he came back. He said, you know what? I'm going to give this another try. And he went on to do the project um, presentation again at the next competition, and he got a perfect score. Went to the state competition as a result and won a Best in Category award. Couldn't have done any better. And so I think that was a moment where where a gifted child had had to use that failure, per se, to to catapult himself to the next level. And I don't think that every child is able to do that because every year I see plenty of children who struggle through the process a little bit when they're working with me. And when they come to the competition, they say, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm afraid I'm just not going to do that well. So I think you begin to see how some kids really thrive on that opportunity to learn from their mistakes. And some kids really struggle with it and aren't necessarily comfortable with um, the next stage for them and, and how they can take those skills and build on their creativity and their, their expertise. Complex problem solving and creativity are immensely important skills that will help our students thrive in the modern workforce. Cultivating creativity and allowing space for students to take a less traveled path will help keep students engaged. Here are some of the responses you might see and hear when students with perfectionism struggle with the fear of creativity. So fear of failure can really stifle creativity. There was one time where I gave a math task and it was create a shape that has an area of eight square units. And I wanted the children to get really creative with this and kind of push the bounds of going beyond normal rectangles. I mean, you could certainly make a two by four rectangle and call it a day, but bring in some diagonals and then 
it gets creative and a rich learning experience. So the children who learned most from and were most creative creative with the process were the ones who were comfortable with trying something, making a mistake. You know, could you do a diagonal that breaks one square in half, but could you do a diagonal that breaks two squares in in half or three squares in half and, and push the boundaries and, and suddenly you become more creative? And a lot of times the children who went far with that did make more mistakes, but their figures were ultimately more creative, their thinking was more creative, and they were open to taking a risk and trying something different that they weren't entirely sure about, but they tested it out and they could see if it failed, then they could they could alter their plan and and try again. And the outcomes then were more creative uh, when children were more comfortable with trying something a little different that they weren't sure about. I think the fear of failure can affect their creativity. And um, the first thing I thought of was a quote that I often use from one of my language learning gurus, whose name is John D'Amato. We've heard him speak at a number of conferences. And he really drives this point home about ownership of language. And he he had this quote that I, I used like during my curriculum night, you can't renovate that which you do not own. So the students all have a a set of things in French that they can just readily use. It's a language that they've really acquired and they can they can manipulate it and they can they can change it around and they're really showing that they're making progress when they can sort of start to put that together themselves and manipulate it and change it and in order to say the things that they want to say. So, I think the students who are most fearful of making a mistake um just don't make it as far along in that process of of ownership because it's the it's the more that you practice the more you're going to own and so the students who are willing to put themselves out there and really uh, you know raise their hand and try to try to speak to their partner or or take kind of level up their language and take it to another you know level of complexity they're the ones who are going to actually end up being able to be creative with their language. Whereas if you're, if you're pulled back and you're not practicing and you're not like taking ownership of, of the language and also of your own language learning process, then you won't have a lot to work with. I think every year I have a student who shows in some way, shape or form a fear of failure. Um, I think that often manifests itself in different ways, but very common ways would be, you know, taking a test. And when they're taking a test, there's an enormous number of questions as they're taking the test because as they're going through it, they're just, they're thinking, okay, if I get this one wrong, what's my test score going to be? Okay, if I get this one wrong, what's my test score going to be? And so, you know, they're looking for every little thing they can get from the teacher to help them maybe interpret that question so that they get it just right. And I think that can be really challenging because sometimes it, it... it puts them so much in the moment that they can't bring themselves back to look at the whole situation as a whole. And that um, maybe I just need to go with my gut 
or I just need to focus on what I was, what I read and what I learned and the experiences I had and try to apply that to the situation instead of focusing so much on, on a, a, a minute detail of it. The stress and anxiety that perfectionism can trigger is extremely difficult to manage for many children. When we can identify when and how perfectionism is holding our students back from fulfilling their potential, we can implement strategies that will allow students to engage at a level that will build confidence. Here are some conversational prompts that might help students who shut down because they struggled or failed to meet their own standards. One of the things that I find helps children overcome those initial steps and the the initial challenges is to break a task down into the micro tasks and just think, what can we do first? Um, You know, if it's a math problem that has multiple sentence, highlight that first sentence. What do we know just based on that first sentence? Break it down into those micro steps. And what can you do first? That tends to help kids get started and feel a little more comfortable with going down the process, um, even if they don't have the end point in sight yet. One conversation I end up having a lot at parent-teacher conferences, and often our students will come to the conference, is talking about the language learning journey as a very personal journey. People learn language at very different rates. I'm not really concerned about you necessarily attaining a certain level, but I want to see you moving forward in that journey. And I want to see you pushing yourself to add more and level up. And so sometimes students who kind of have the sense that they're on the lower end of my class, it's amazing how psychological that idea, you know, if they sort of peg themselves as like, I'm not a, I'm not a really strong language student. I'm just going to kind of get through this. And then I say, like, you're going to go to high school next year. And suddenly you're going to realize how much you actually know. Oftentimes what happens is they go to a high school program where they've had the benefit of having 10 years of French experience, and their peers might have taken one or two years. um, And they suddenly do feel like the star of the class try to kind of move away from that comparison um, and say, like, I'm just going to own my own journey and try to move forward in that. I have to give props to a colleague of mine who um, actually runs our makerspace at the school. And uh, in working with him, he he had shared some of these ideas because in science, uh, we really try to build a culture of a culture of failure, actually, because if you look at any scientist. There, there has been enormous amounts of failure for them to achieve an invention, um, solving some kind of problem. At any rate, this, this colleague of mine was helping the science department uh, develop some projects to, to go through this design process. And he had a saying that he shared with me, and it really stuck with me. And it was, you either win or you learn. Right? I mean, and that's what life is about. You either win or you learn. It's not about losing. It's about learning. There was another phrase that he used, which was fail fast. And I absolutely love that in a science classroom in particular, because um, the sooner you can fail, the sooner you can get to your solution and, and, and meet your goals. And so I use that a lot with kids because I think it normalizes the concept of, of making mistakes. And, you know, my kids will, will all, I think if you asked some of my students, they'd say, what's one of Mrs. Garetto's phrases that she used? I'm constantly telling kids, second effort. 
It's it's about second effort. It's not about achieving it on your first try. It's about the process. It's about going through that process. It's about the journey. And so sometimes we have to give a second effort. Sometimes we have to give a third effort. Sometimes we have to step back and come back at it later. Um, and I, I, I love the fact that I'm in a science classroom, and that's that's sort of a, a, a bit more of a norm for a science classroom because sometimes we do have to do experiments multiple times. Um, but I think that that developing some of those those prompts for kids, it's almost like a, a snap of the fingers. Like, okay, I have to I have to change my thinking because I was on this path, but now I'm thinking, oh, okay, fail fast. All right, let me keep moving forward. We want to thank Sarah, Elizabeth, and Jenny for sharing their experiences with us. Hopefully, you will find these episodes helpful as you try to shift your students' mindset from perfectionism towards the pursuit of excellence. We wanted to thank you for joining us in this space today. Uh, please subscribe to the Gifted Ed podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes and stay tuned for our next episode that continues to unpack the complexities of giftedness. Giftedness.